Good morning, Gator Nation. Welcome back to the In All Kinds of Weather Forecast. Bit of a somber episode today. Some stormy weather above the Gator football program right now because Florida has lost to Tennessee, 38-33. It's the Gators' first loss to Tennessee in the last six years. Second loss to Tennessee in the last 18 years. And the eighth loss to Tennessee in the last 37 games. Definitely were a few positives in there. Uh, a lot of things that drew fans ire, some fairly, some not fairly. We'll break that all down very shortly, but first things first, I am your host, Neil Shulman. You can follow me on Twitter at All Kinds Weather, on Instagram at All Kinds Weather Blog, and on Facebook and YouTube under the name In All Kinds of Weather. My co-host, Chris Yanes, also with us today. You can follow him on Twitter at Mr. Chris Bits. And while we're talking about ourselves, how about talking about our sponsors slash partners too? We are proudly partnered with the Gator Good Foundation, the nonprofit organization that works to send underprivileged Gator fans to the swamp. The Gator Good Foundation collects donations from fans and uses them to bring someone to his or her first ever Gator football game. Or I guess in this case, I should say plural uses the donations to bring Gator fans to their first ever Gator football game because we have just announced our recipients for the 2022 Gator Good Foundation campaign, hashtag GGF2022. To learn more about our winners this season, please go to our social media handles at the Gator Good on Twitter, at Gator Good Foundation on Instagram, and just plain old the Gator Good Foundation on Facebook. You can also go to GatorGoodFoundation.com, the website, to learn more. If you know someone who you think is worthy of the honor for next season, it is never too early for us to start looking and exploring options. So you believe you or somebody you know is worthy for next year, please email us at GatorGoodFoundation at gmail.com. And as always, donations though not ever expected, are very much appreciated. So to donate to our cause, you can go to our website, GatorGoodFoundation.com, and click on the donate button. Second, we are proudly sponsored by Stingray Branding. These folks will put a sting into your marketing and deliver results that will wow your clients. Whether it's web design, logo design, branding, graphic design, social media management, search engine optimization, marketing strategy, or mobile app design, Stingray Branding has you covered. If you or someone you know needs professional help in any of the above, here are three great reasons why you should choose Stingray Branding. One is it is a veteran-owned business. You can't think of a better way to properly thank those who serve our country than by giving the business. Two, it's run by a Florida Gator fan and UF alum. And number three, they've got the personal stamp of approval from In All Kinds of Weather because they did our new logo. They did our new website. They did the Gator Good Foundation website. And they did the Gator Collective website and the Gator Collective logo. And they do 99% of the marketing for the Charleston Gator Club in Charleston, South Carolina. So plenty of opportunities for y'all to go and check out their work for yourselves. To learn more about their services and rates, go to stingraybranding.com. And with that all taken care of, y'all, it's time to get to the featured presentation of this podcast We know what happened, Chris. Um, 
I mean, I, I know we, we both have time crunches. Tonight starts the Jewish New Year. You've got a lot of errands to run. We both have lots of stuff to get to, so let's just dive right in. Florida lost. It was not pretty for a, a large percentage of the game. Florida did fight. I do appreciate that. But a lot of stuff to clean up. A few things to take away positively, but a lot to clean up. So let, let's start with uh, the stuff that we did not like, and then we'll get to the positives momentarily. What stuck out to you that you think Florida doesn't have a choice, but they have to clean up moving forward? Well, you know, I think obviously the defense was the the, the, the low spot yesterday. You know, that game kind of played out similar to how I thought losses would play out this season for Florida. I thought that we would see just major statistical games for Anthony Richardson. The offense would move the ball. We'd score a lot of points. But the defense, who is still just very devout of talent, they don't have a lot of depth at certain positions. Certain players are playing in positions that are not doing very well at. So that all showed yesterday. So obviously the defense played very bad. They just did, it played bad. They they struggled to actually stop the run, uh, which we knew was a, was a weakness for for this team. The uh, Hendon Hooker ran wild on this defense at times, as that we were not able to you know hold him in the pocket and contain him. They they gashed us in the, in the, in the run game too, at times. Um, and then the passing game hit major chunk plays at some very poor places in the game. Uh, I thought that the, that the game, I laid out the game plan of the path to victory. And I said that the path to victory was time of possession. You have to make Tennessee drive the field over, um, you know, a course of many plays and then make them settle for field goals. That didn't happen. Unfortunately, it was playing out that way though, early, I would say up through about almost through the whole second quarter. And then toward the end, that's when, you know, they were backed up in their own territory and we let them hit that big play. And then they scored before halftime. They came out of halftime. They scored again. And before you know it, it's a two possession game. We're playing catch up the rest of the game. So that was to me, I mean, I'm sure we'll get into turning, you know, big plays and whatever, but that was the turning point in the game was when the defense let up that big play and they let them drive the field quickly before halftime, they scored and then they scored again. So for me, obviously, I think it's the defense. Offense played – they played their best game of the season. I mean, I mean, outside of – the run game was not there for us. Tennessee did a great job um, containing us in the run game. That was probably the best defensive line we've played all season. You know, but they uh, – we played a great offensive game. The defense, unfortunately, did not win us this game. And uh, we're going to have to, that's going to be a work in progress throughout the year. Yeah. I mean, to be a, a true team that, that competes for the types of goals that the university of Florida sets out to compete for, you have to have a team that all three phases, I mean, really four, we're going to talk about coaching and the final word. So we can say that there's four phases to this game. You have to have a team where any of the four phases can step up and, and pick you up and win the game for you when the others aren't there. Obviously, it's a lot harder for one to do that when the other three are all not helping. By the way, special teams, coaching, neither of them helped out Florida yesterday. So the offense was really trying to carry the other three, quote-unquote, units of the team. You're going to need at least two, if not three, to pick up the one that isn't doing its job. You can survive the defense having a bad game if your offense is putting up 550 plus yards, which we did. And if your coaching helps you out, which we'll talk about that in a minute. Um, 
I, I understand why he did it, but the coaching, the results weren't there. We'll put it that way for now. The results did not help the team. We can talk about this, the intelligence behind the decisions in a little bit, but the results did not help the team. And the special teams, I mean, the, the, the kick returns costing Florida 10 plus yards almost every time we try to return a ball, a missed 50-yard field goal, which, you know, it, it's difficult kick, sure, but Florida's had kickers that can make 50-yarders pretty reliably, you know, with McPherson, Eddie Pinheiro, going back to the guest we had on for the Tennessee podcast, uh, Caleb Sturgis, we, we've had guys that can hit those. So that's been the standard that's been set at Florida. And the offense was good. Uh, I I don't really like the fact that we could not run the ball against a Tennessee defense that's it's okay. It's a, it's a respectable defense. Doesn't touch Georgia's doesn't touch Texas A&M's front seven. I mean, the Aggies have all sorts of problems, but their defensive line is really good. Um, I mean, if we're talking about Alabama as a measuring stick for the future, if somehow we're now 0-2 in the SEC, but somehow chaos ensues and we get to Atlanta, we're not going to be able to run the ball in Alabama. So, you know, we have such a long way to go in that respect. I don't know that I would be singing the offense's praises too much, but there's no doubt that AR did a good job. The problem is the, there were so many other issues across the field that it wasn't, it wasn't enough. And that's a problem because if AR is going to be the guy that leads Florida to the goals that we're supposed to reach, he's going to have to still have help. He cannot carry a team of 21 other guys plus coaches plus special teams guys. So he's going to need other pieces of the puzzle to step up and help him out. And that was what was most concerning to me yesterday was that when he balled out, he got virtually no help aside from, we'll talk about him in a little bit, Benchel Miller on the defense, but he got virtually no other help. I'll push back a little bit on that. I think that he did get some great help from the receiving core. Ricky Pearsall had over 100 yards. Justin Shorter had over 100 yards. Keon Zipper probably played one of his best games ever as a Gator. That was a grown man run on that first touchdown of the game. Um, I thought that he actually, the receiving core, who we've much maligned throughout this season, stepped up in a big way. And we would not have had the game we had without them. They got open. They made plays. They made they they got yards after the catch. Um I think the running backs, they didn't obviously get the, you know, break those runs that they had in the first couple of games that we had seen before and against this defense. So that was a big disappointment. I thought offensive line held up fairly well, especially in pass um, blocking, and it gave Anthony just enough time to find those open receivers, get through his progressions. You know, I'll, I mean, I will, we'll talk about coaching. I know we're going to have the coaching segment um, later, but overall, I, I do think there were some guys that stepped up that hadn't stepped up yet this season. Bottom line, and we've talked about this, we would go back to the state of the, the program pod when we talked about it throughout the season. This roster is not there yet. It, we were never going to compete for championships this year. We had circled Tennessee as a game that Florida likely could lose. You know, we've played three top 20 opponents in the first four weeks of the season, and we sit at two and two right now. To be honest, that's that's decent. I think that's pretty decent for a first-year head coach. I you know, especially for a team that we predicted to win seven to eight games this season, going back to when we, you know, went through the percentages and we broke the, the schedule down, you know. And and I'll just say this, too, and, I, and I, I wrote about it this past week on the website. You know, I think we've just got to trust the journey. We've got to trust the coaching staff and what they're doing. Yeah, there were some bright spots yesterday. There were some ugly spots yesterday. And 
unfortunately, the ugly spots are going to overshadow the bright spots when you lose a football game, when you lose a game the way we did, when we lose it to a team that we are not used to losing to. Uh, so it's only the sixth time in 30 years that we've lost to Tennessee. We, we don't lose to Tennessee, but, and it sucks when it happens. But I think we just got to be a little bit patient. I think this program is headed in the right direction. The foundation's being laid. The infrastructure is being put down for a long, sustained program. And then ultimately, we need to have a great recruiting class at the end of the year. And then these results hopefully should become far and few between. Because then, when you do have the elite players, when you do have the right players, then you can only look at one thing, and that is the coaching staff. So... With that, I don't know if you want to get into maybe the coaching decisions now a little bit. Yeah, well, I'll I'll just I'll just quickly defend uh, the statement about AR getting virtually no help. I did qualify it by saying virtually. He did get a little bit. I do appreciate uh, the the Keon Zipper spin move that he put on the on the DB on that touchdown. Uh, Pearsall shorter stepping up. Those two guys had uh, I think two hundred fifty eight combined yards through the air on uh, twelve combined catches. Pearsall with a touchdown. Uh, I mean, Xavier Henderson, he's not the best receiver we have on the team. He's probably not in the top three of, of the pass catchers we have on the team. But, I mean, throwing those little screens to him and him making guys miss, you know, credit for him for that. Those are those are broken tackles. Those are evaded tackles. And those helped Florida out a couple of times deep in our own territory. But the overwhelming majority of the team did not do their job. I think that's a statement that you would agree with. There were, there were a couple of guys here or there that helped him out. But – Saying he got virtually no help, it was more a reference to the fact that the running game wasn't there. The defense was not there against the run. The defense is not there against the pass. The special teams is not there. And we'll debate the the merits of the coaching decisions momentarily, but the results of the coaching decisions, which are partly kind of AR's fault to a to a very small degree, more on other people. But you know, he, he did have a, a piece in this. Um the coaching decisions did not result uh, in in very helpful resolutions for him. So, all right, coaching decisions. Well, I mean, there's no way to avoid it because the the coaching, I think, again, I I don't fault the, the brains that went behind this, but the results of the coaching decisions lost Florida the game yesterday. Let's start personnel and then we'll talk about some of the, decisions he made on fourth down so i mean the first one the obvious one starting someone in the secondary that i mean we're, we're just out of time here you talked about it before a week ago trey dean is a good person he's a good guy in the community and i think that there is value to having a guy who's in his fifth year in college being in that locker room and and maybe even helping you know some of the younger guys get acclimated to the college game but I mean, there's just no way to justify this anymore, Chris. There's no way to justify putting him on the field unless, I mean, if you're going to go with like a five DB package, you're going to have him do a very small assignment where he's got cover two behind him. He's got two guys playing center field to cover up. Sure. Then, okay, fine. Literally any other conceivable situation, there's no justification for putting him back on the field. There's not. And I said it last week, he's a liability, trading his liability on the defensive side of the ball that proved incredibly evident. I mean, this guy does not tackle correctly. Flat back to everything. These are all things that show on film when you watch your He doesn't tackle. He's not in the right position. 
he doesn't understand his assignments and he gets, he gives, and because of it, he gives up major plays, game changing plays, the defense, Ventral Miller with the help of Ventral Miller um, there. And some of the other guys held it down for the first couple of drives. They were making Tennessee drive the field. Like I said, had to happen. But then when Ventral, when trading misses a complete assignment and the guy is 70 yards down the field, Tennessee hit their longest play of the season. It changed, it changed the game. I credit the coaching staff for taking him out for a drive and putting in Kamari Wilson. And then guess what? We got to stop. We got, we got a strip sack stop on fourth down on that drive. And then he's back in on the next drive. And I don't understand why, you know, it, it, it's so obvious at this point. And I, I think moving forward, if the coaching staff starts him, then they're going to have to live with the results. That is going to be, you're right. That is going to be on them for starting somebody who just at this point in his fifth year in college does not understand, you know, alignment, assignments, whatever, like it, it's, it's inexcusable at this point. He's, he's had multiple coaching um, staffs and he still doesn't get it. So, and I, and I think what we've seen on film from the defense is the best players are the freshmen outside of intro Miller, right? Shamar James made plays yesterday. Chris McClellan's making plays in the defensive line. Devin Moore is getting a lot of play time at corner and is, 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 you know, he's making the freshman mistakes that a corner will make, but overall he's playing pretty well. I, I want to see more Kamari Wilson. I think Kamari Wilson is he's he's a star in the making. Um, you know, this is a kid that was almost a five-star athlete out of high school. These are the athletes we need at the University of Florida, and we need to give him some valuable play time so he can take his lump. I'm I'm comfortable with a guy like him taking his lumps and making some mistakes early in his career here. But I, I'm just tired of watching a fifth-year senior do it and lose his games. I mean, there's something to be said about the fact that this is a defense that is not where it needs to be. So no matter who you put out there, mistakes are very likely going to happen. You would much rather those mistakes be made by a true freshman who's got two more years after this, two more off seasons after this, plus the rest of the season, still eight more games to go, plus a bowl game. Hopefully, I think we'll make one. I'm not certain of it, but I think we'll make one. Anyway, we'll make a bowl game. I, I, I think we will. I think it's very likely that we will. Two more years after this year to learn, to grow, to get better. Rather than a guy who's in his fifth year, we're not even going to have him next year. So even at this point, even if he does learn from the 612th time he misses an assignment, okay, cool, finally. But now all of a sudden we have to replace another starter next year. Give the guy who's younger, who, by the way, you recruited to be in your defense, a guy in Kamari Wilson, let him make those mistakes so he can grow, learn, and get better from them. Now, this is the part of the pod that, you know, we have to we have to acknowledge because I do like to think that we do a good job with our podcast. So therefore, we gain new listeners every time. And therefore, we have to say this more often than I'd probably like to. It's never a personal thing. That is the motto of this pod. We keep it respectful. We keep it real. Respectful means Trey Dean's a great kid in the community. He does a lot of good things off the field. A lot of guys in that locker room do like him. They do respect him. They do look up to him. They do you know, enlist in his advice sometimes and how to acclimate to being a college athlete, which is a lot of time and effort to do. But keeping it real means... We just look at the film. We just look at the film the same as the coaches do. And this is what the film says. 70-yard bomb to Brew McCoy because trading is just 
staring into cyberspace. That's again, that is looking at what the film tells us. Then there's a 45 yard bomb to tight end Jacob Warren because he's again staring into cyberspace. Then there's a another 10 yards because he misses the tackle on Ramel Keaton on a second and 16. Granted, Antoine Powell both at his ankles. Huh? They both dove at his ankles. Yeah. It was a terrible tackle. I mean, Antoine Powell also did not look good on that play. If we're going to do the finger pointing thing, he's got to be, you know, objectively included in that. But Dean missed the tackle. That was another 10 free yards. So think about that. Dean and Dean alone was responsible for 125 yards of total offense on three plays because he didn't do his job. Yep. And we lost the game by five points. So, I mean, it, it could have been a very different game if, if those, they don't hit those big plays. I mean, I would love to know. I, didn't look, I haven't gone back and looked, but I would love to know what the win percentage, how it changed on those plays. Because I think that if you take those plays away, and maybe Tennessee doesn't even get points on, let's say, the two possessions where they got the 70-yarder and the 45-yarder. The 45-yarder was out of halftime, if I'm not mistaken. The 70-yarder was right before halftime. That, I mean, that really is what changed the game was when they hit – when they drove 90-plus yards uh, – I think it was 99 yards, actually, in the last three minutes of the second uh, – the first half. And then they hit the big play uh, to the tight end for 45 yards. They scored on that drive as well. I mean, that's a that's a 14-point swing right there in favor of Tennessee in a game in which they ended up losing or winning by five points. So well, they were a little more spread out than that, but they, it was in the second quarter and then the third quarter. The 70 yard bomb was uh as a I think that was after a touchback oh, right. on a kickoff. You're you're um, right. But you're that right. but that puts them at the five yard line. And what's the defense supposed to do? Unless they force a turnover, they're gonna score a touchdown out of there. And then Hooker's not gonna you know, take a sack after scrambling around. So, you know, that that's seven. And then the other bomb to Brew McCoy, by the way, nice hustle by Rashad Torrance to stop that one for also going for 70 yards and limiting it to only 45. But uh, I mean, yeah, that, that, that's just clear as clear it can be. Tradine's got to, she's got to be sat and, you know, Kamari Wilson's got to be put out there given a chance to learn, grow and develop. But there were other things the coaches did that definitely raised some eyebrows. Uh, let's start with the end of half sequence where Billy Napier calls a timeout on Tennessee's last drive of the half to try to get the ball back. Uh, that doesn't happen, and Tennessee scores. So the result obviously did not work out in Florida's favor. What do you think of the decision? I'm good with it. That, to me, is a coach that is being aggressive in the right way, that feels that he needs another possession because possessions for Florida mattered in that game. And you know what? It didn't work out. And, and here's the thing. If we stop them there, they're backed up, and they're well into their own territory. Even if we fair catch the ball, we probably get the ball at midfield. We were moving the ball very well in the first half. We moved it well the entire game. We potentially could score and get some points out of that. So I'm totally fine with that decision at that point is to, yes, you want your, you want your team, you want to give your team as many opportunities in a game that turns into a shootout. So that to me is, was a good decision by Billy Napier. It didn't work out. You know what? Sometimes it's going to be, and we'll, we'll get into all, I'm sure the fourth down decisions, the two point decisions, sometimes the right decision doesn't work out. I mean, that it's, it's, it's a 50, 50 proposition. So 
football's a game of chances. That one didn't pay off for Billy. And really, he got his third and ten. You have to think if you're gonna if you're gonna sit him down and say, "Okay, Billy, I'm going to give you the following scenario: you will have a third and ten to get your team the ball back." He's gonna take it every time. Backed up in their own territory. Right. Exactly. You you can't say no to that. You you can't turn that down. The defense didn't do its job, which is sort of becoming a theme after. I think a very good first game of the year and really the first two games, they were good against Kentucky. Yep. Um, but I, I think that now we're sort of sorry to see the defense kind of fall back down to earth, come back down to reality, maybe playing a little bit above what we thought their realistic uh, ceiling was. And that's, that's just kind of going to happen, but you, you get your third and 10 in their own territory. You have to like your chances of getting the stop. And because that there is significantly more than a 50% chance that Tennessee does not pick up a third and 10. So you think, I mean, I mean, that's, that's the criteria you go by, right? Like if there's more than a 50% chance that a decision is going to work out in your favor, you got to take it. So you, you can't fault him for that. Now, some other decisions he made, I think are a little more questionable. I, I, I understand every decision that we're going to get into here, some I think carried a little bit more risk that I may or may not have taken. So we'll start. We'll start with 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 the first fourth down of the game. It's fourth and two in Tennessee's territory. They're easily within Mahalik's field goal range, but he elects to go for it again for the second time after going for it earlier on that drive and getting it. The difference is now you've got three points waiting for you because this is not a particularly hard field goal for Mahalik. Uh, I think you're on the twenty. It'd be like a thirty-seven yard field goal. So you go for it with a, with a QB power run. What do you think of the decision, A, to go for it, B, to call the play that he called? I'm okay with him going for it. I don't like the play call. And actually, the play was there for Anthony. Anthony missed the hole. So this is probably one of the plays Anthony did not execute properly in the game. But if you look, Keon Zipper actually sealed the block to the right. If he, Anthony goes to the right, he probably scores. Remember, and I, and I don't want you to get off topic a little bit. Remember how a lot of people have been clamoring for that speed option play? And when we got it this game, he scored, I think, on one of the, the speed options. That would have been the perfect play call in that situation. So to me, I'm okay. And actually, if you look at the um, anybody that follows Bud Davis on Twitter, great follow. Uh, shout out to him. He had some great data out of this, and I'll probably run through it a little bit when we get into the two-pointers. Um, if you actually look at that scenario, the expected win total – it goes up if you do hit that fourth down. So I, I'm okay with the That actually is the right decision to go for it there. You think about you got your first drive, you score, you get the big momentum. You're up 7-0 early on Tennessee. I'm good with the decision to go for it. I just think the play call up the middle where we weren't really gashing them in the run game, I think was probably not the right decision. We had much better success running sideline to sideline in that game than we did through the tackles. So I just think that it would have been better to see that speed option introduced at that point in the game. Um, or Anthony makes the right read and hits the correct, you know, uh, the hole and goes to the edge. So that's, that's my take on it. I agree with you that it was the right call to go for it. I have no problem with that. I don't like the call to run a QB power up the middle for two reasons. One, because of the one you just mentioned. Two, if Richardson's leg is anything less than fully healthy, you're inviting him to 
get himself entangled in a massive humanity where people were grabbing, pulling, yanking, twisting on anything they can, they can get their hands on. And we saw with, with Cash Daniel against Kyle Trask a couple of years ago, some of that may not happen legally. Some of it may be perfectly fair and, and clean. Guys just try, try to make plays. These teams don't like each other. It is not by any means inconceivable for a Tennessee guy to get a hold of him in the pile and try to rip his ankle apart. You're inviting that with, with that play call. So if, if he's fully healthy, I I'm okay with it a little bit more. Cause I understand like that could happen on any given play, but with the knowledge that his leg was already bugging him from the Kentucky game uh, because, you know, he admitted that he had an, an injury scare and it got into his head in that Kentucky game. Maybe Tennessee players are thinking, well, maybe we can give him another injury scare. Maybe we can get into his head again. So for that reason, I don't like it. Now you're right. The hole was there. Zipper seals it. If he bounces that outside, and, and if that's the idea all along, if it's going to be like a fake QB power where he takes two or three steps forward or even one step forward to sort of sell it and then pulls back and wheels around and tries to get the C gap, I'm fine with that. Because that does, what, as you mentioned, that does take advantage of something that Florida had success with throughout the game. And that's going outside and trying to stretch the field sideline to sideline. But that didn't work out. Now, I mean, what, what do you think of the idea just in general going forward on fourth down as many times as he did? Because there were there were several such calls that he makes throughout the game to go forward on fourth down. I mean, we'll be here forever if we try to break down each one of them uh, one by one. But uh, I mean, just going forward as many times as he did, Florida goes forward six times on fourth down. They get it five. Now, we've odds, seen yeah. we spoke but I'm saying we saw through this game that Napier makes decisions that sometimes don't work. So if that five for six is two for six. Napier is suddenly getting crucified 10 times more than he is. So just as a general principle, what do you think of the aggression that he showed? Uh, or I guess you could spin it as the belief in his team that he showed, which, which would you characterize it as? And, and just what do you think of it? I think that, Bill, I mean, they, if you talk to anybody that was involved in the Raging Cajuns program, they said that Billy is an aggressive guy. The, the, the phrase scared money don't make money didn't just come out of thin air. So I think Billy is just naturally an aggressive guy. We are just going to have to, as a fan base, potentially get used to our heart rate being elevated a little bit more than it has even in the past. Uh, but I think I'm okay. I think Billy knows when to – push the buttons a little bit. And I think he's willing to push them a little bit more in a season in which Florida is not going to play for a championship. The expectations for this season are not there where they'll hopefully be in future years. So he wants to try to maximize any opportunity he gets, especially in later game situations. So, you know, a lot of, if you actually look at some of the situations and when he went for it, it, it actually a lot of times was the right uh, decision to, to go for it. So, you know, I think late in the game, especially when Anthony Richardson hit uh, Justin Shorter for that 40-yard bomb down the sideline, fourth and two from our own 27, uh, that, that's a toss-up in that situation of whether or not to go for it. I don't know if the play call – it's a high-risk play call, but he hit it, so – you know, that's probably one where I'm like, okay, maybe the right decision to go for it, uh, but maybe not the right play call. So I think there's some times where I, he's making the right decision to go for it, but maybe the play call or the execution isn't the correct way to go about it. 
But what can I say? He went five for six yesterday. He had a higher in against Utah. He had a good uh, percentage of going for it against Kentucky. He did it and we lost the game. So, you know, I think that there's going to, it's going to be a case by case basis with him. And we just got to kind of maybe get ready for these sort of scenarios to continue to arise throughout the season, being that Florida is likely not going to blow a lot of teams out. So we're going to be in these situations where we're going for it a lot. What I just hope to see is that we have, we, we start to limit those scenarios from coming up, you know, and I think that's going to come with time and, and, and obviously elevating this roster just talent. So you're not, you're converting third downs and not having to go for it on fourth down. But what I will say is that Billy, if you look at his play calling, he likes to set up an easier fourth down when he gets it. So he might be in third and medium or third and long, but he'll call a play to get it to fourth and short. So he, so then the expect the expected chances of you getting it go up. If you do end up going for it, like fourth and two, you know what your offensive line, our offensive line is pretty good. We should be able to push for two yards on a fourth and two more often than not. We should have honestly been able to do it regardless if we ran it up the middle or to the sideline on that fourth and two to start the game. So I think we just with Billy, it's, it's kind of going to be a wait and see a case by case. There are times when I think you can push the buttons too much and be overly aggressive. So I want to see a scenario where we're Florida's like up in the game where we're winning the game and we're in a similar situation. How does he respond? How does he react? Was he going to, is he going to say, say with the same aggression or is he going to play conservative on the football? So Right now, I think because Florida is in a program that's still ascending, we're, we're building something, Billy's going to take maybe uh, open to taking more risk. If the program starts elevating and we're in these situations less often, I want to see how he reacts then. That's a fair point. And it's, it's and really, you hit the nail on the head about going and, and knowing that you're in two down territory when it's third and long in certain situations, like the first drive of the game, again, uh, where we talked about the fourth down play where they call a QB power and the, the, the edge is sealed, but he doesn't see it. How about the third down play call there? It's third and nine. And he hands the ball off to Montreal Johnson who gets seven yards to set up a fourth and two, because he knew in the back of his mind, okay, unless this play gets a yard or, or it, it loses yards, we're going on fourth down. So he calls a play that Tennessee is probably not expecting because they think Florida's going to go to the air. And instead, they catch them off guard for a nice, easy seven-yard gain to set up a fourth and short. So I, I can see the gears turning in his head there for sure. Um, speaking of seeing the gears turning in his head, Billy Napier, according to some fans, I think was maybe thinking a little too hard too soon with some of his decisions after touchdowns. Uh, down 38-21, you go for two after the first touchdown. There is a real reason to do this. There is an analytical reason to do this. You do it when your defense isn't very good and you know that if you – because you need three scores. You need three scores regardless of what happens. So if you send the game to overtime and you don't trust your defense, your defense isn't doing its job, you're probably going to lose the game. Because they're just, I mean, they're missing assignments. They can't tackle. They're getting tired. And that only gets worse as the game goes on. So you need three scores regardless of what happens. You may as well do it in a way where the third score wins you the game. So you go for two on the first touchdown. It's 38-21. You score 38-27 now. 
You go for two to make it 38-29. If you get that, you still need a touchdown and a field goal the way you would if you went for the extra point. But now the field goal wins the game. It doesn't send it to OT. And if you do miss the first two-point conversion, the analytics say that two-point conversions are approximately a coin flip. There are more variables that are in there. Like if you have a running quarterback, if you have a good running game, if you have uh, if you have receivers that 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 are tall and can catch fade routes, which Florida doesn't really have. But point is, there are a lot more factors that go into it than, than just that. But it's approximately a coin flip. So logic says if you don't get heads the first time, if you flip a coin, you get tails, you will probably get the other result the second time. So you are likely to get it one of the two times. And if you miss the first time, but you get the second one, as analytics suggests is the most likely scenario if you miss the first one, then you're right back where you started. No harm, no foul. Field goal sends the game to overtime. And Florida was in field goal range on the last drive. They got the onside kick. They got that miracle. By the way, shout out to one black. Hell of a play to get that onside kick. But that is the strategy behind it. That is what Napier was thinking. So, Chris, do you like it or not? At the time, I was like, what are you doing? What are you doing? And then as after the game, I went back and kind of, you know, Right up, I, I've, I've, I have gone uh, a lot more analytical since Billy Napier's become our head coach and looked at the d- deep dive into these statistics. It, it was the right call. If you actually look at at the at the statistics, there's actually a chart I, t- I retweeted. It was from Bud Davis as well. Um, take a look at it. It's really interesting. It basically breaks down every two point scenario based on like how far you are behind after the touchdown in the last ten minutes of a game. So if you look at the chart for this one, we were down by 11. And according to the chart, you should go for two. And exactly why Neil Neil pointed it out. If we get that two-point conversion, it's 38-29. The next drive, you score a touchdown, you're down 38-36. And then you you could potentially kick the game-winning field goal. Even if you miss the first one, you still then obviously have to then go for it on the second one, which it was there. The ball was intended for Justin Shorter. It was tipped by Montreal Johnson, and then unfortunately Justin Shorter didn't catch it. So let's say that doesn't happen. At the at worst case, the game's tied. You have the ball back, and you're kicking a game-tying field goal. Had we had the first one, we would have been going for the game-winning field goal with Adam Mahalik, who – I mean, look, Adam, you're going to miss 50-yard field goals, so I'm not going to crush the kid for missing one 50-yard field goal. Caleb Sturgis missed 50-yard field goals too when he was in, in college. So, you know, give the guy another chance. Maybe he hits it. Uh, you know, odds are that's kind of how 50-yard field goals work. It is sort of a 50-50 deal, even with the best kickers in the country. But, yeah, no, I'm honestly – I know a lot of fans were crucifying him for for some of the fourth down con- fourth down plays with the two-point decisions – and I know Neil, you you were a little bit critical. I think I think if we're if there's one co- coaching component or maybe one or two areas where the coaching staff hurt the team in this game, it's the decision to play Trey Dean on defense, and it was the decision to continue to. And this is actually where we're really starting to miss on points um, is the to return kicks and not just take the touchdown the 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 kick um, out of the end zone for a touchback. Um, if you look at expected points. We basically lost four points alone on kick returns. So, like expected points um, back based on like how your different, you know, whether you go for field goals or punts or kick returns, punt returns, whatever. We're losing four points on that alone. So, 
You know, I, I think the staff has got to take a harder look at the special teams. We pointed it out now the last couple of weeks. I think it actually hurt us in this game and it's not being talked about enough. I think people are putting their ire in the wrong areas. In my opinion, and maybe this is how we can close the segment out, is I don't think the coaching, the coaching's decision to go for two, the coach's decision to go for it all the time. I mean, the reason we were in the game was actually because we went for it on fourth down and hit it five out of six times. The two-point conversion is not why we lost the game. The reason why we lost this game is because the defense gave up major play after major play after major play. And the one thing you could fault the coaching staff for was the fact that they put the wrong guy to play. They should not have started. It was like the old saying Coach Spurrier said to Danny Werfel when he threw those interceptions. He says, Danny, it's not your fault that you threw the interceptions. It's my fault from putting you in the game to throw them. So, you know, you look at this decision to play Trey Dean. Trey? It's not your fault. You made the, you made those, uh, you know, you gave up those big plays. It's our fault because we put you in a position and you gave up those big plays. So I think that that to put a bow on it for me, I don't think the two, I'm not upset at the two point decisions. I'm not upset at the fourth down calls. I'm upset at the fact that we're still not playing probably the proper personnel. And I do think the special teams are killing us right now. So one more point that I think uh, should be made about, the two point conversion decisions uh, that that a few fans were talking about on at least in my mentions on social media. Well, if you want to be the genius that goes for it for two to take that risk to win the game, paraphrasing different fans, of course, all in one, all in one sentence. But if you want to be the genius that takes the risk to to win the game with the two point conversion, why not go for it on the second one? Well, the answer to that is because if you do that and you miss then you have no parachute. You have no recourse then, uh, especially if you get the field goal first to, to make it a, a, a seven-point game. Say you go for two, say you go for one in the first one. It's 38-21. You score a touchdown, PAT, 38-28. Then let's say you get a field goal on your next drive. Then if you go for two, you have absolutely no parachute. You have no way to get back in the game if you miss it and you just lost the game. So instead of putting all your eggs in one basket, instead of banking the entire game on one two-point conversion, you have a chance to overcome the miss as Florida did by missing on it with that much time in the game and that many possessions still ahead of you. So that's why Florida went for it down 38-27 and didn't wait for later. It's the same reason why Dan Mullen, went for two in the SEC championship game against Alabama down 52 to 38 when it was 52 to 44. He should not have called a timeout. He should have said, okay, ship sailed. We lost our chance. Let's just kick the extra point, take the delay again and make it seven. But that was the reasoning behind why he went for two on the first touchdown when they needed two to tie the game or obviously win. But that didn't happen. Florida lost that game to Alabama. Florida lost this game to Tennessee. As Chris mentioned, it's not something that Florida is used to doing. A few quick stats before we roll into our final word. Florida is still 5-1 and one against Tennessee in the last six. They are 16-2 and two against Tennessee in the last 18. And a stat that I think is getting lost because the last 18 years are so phenomenal. But before Florida ripped off 11 in a row from 05 to 15, Florida still beat Tennessee 13 of those 19 games. Yeah. It's 29-8 since the end of the Vietnam War. <laughs> well, I'm gonna um I'm gonna turn 30 this year. And I made a joke that I think I said it in the first podcast earlier in the week. 
I could count on one hand in my lifetime how many times Tennessee has beaten us. So unfortunately, I couldn't quite make it to my 30th birthday to have that joke, but six times in 30 years is still pretty uh, a pretty good record. It's not like Tennessee in that span hasn't been good. There have been years where they're really good. So if you, I mean, honestly, like if we, if we want to like go down the path and look forward a little bit, like if Florida, Florida recruited better last year than Tennessee did in a transition class, Florida is trending better right now than Tennessee in recruiting. And if you just look long-term, they next year lose Hendon Hooker, who Hendon, I don't think this team would be the same without Hendon Hooker. He is a great quarterback. Shout out to him. He played the best game against Florida since Peyton Manning. Okay. This was a, this was an incredible performance by him. He deserves all the credit in the world. I think he got dinged pretty badly in that game. We definitely got some shots on him and he delivered. Uh, So, you know what? I think Florida long-term is going to continue to have a very good record against Tennessee. So my message to the Tennessee faithful and the trolls out there on Twitter, enjoy this game because as history says, it doesn't happen often. Well, I mean, I said the exact same thing uh, before the game. And, and really, I said it as I, I said it all offseason long. Like, this is the year. If you are a not Florida team that has Florida on your schedule in 22, you better beat us this year because you're going to, your chances to beat us in 23, 24, and beyond are dwindling. They're not going to be very many. Now, Georgia obviously is not included in that statement. Alabama is not included in that statement. LSU, we have a lot of problems with, so you can't even include them. But, you know, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, I mean, Vanderbilt's a mess, so you can't really say them. But, you know, Missouri, I mean, they have their own litany of problems. But if you're another team in the SEC East, not named Georgia, you better beat us in 22. Because once Napier gets his, his, his players in, once his staff is, is here for more than one year and there's some continuity there, it's going to start to get a lot harder. And Tennessee, I mean, the funny thing about them is they've had the better team than Florida many, many times over the last couple of decades. You, I mean, you, you can count them off. Uh, I think 2007, they had the better team. We can start there where Florida whooped them 59-20. As the year went on, Tennessee wound up winning the East that year and Florida yeah, but that year we blew, we we lost to a Georgia. I don't know if I agree with that. I mean, Georgia. You don't think? I, no, I don't. That team was that that Florida team was a, a, a elite on offense. Tim Tebow won the Heisman Trophy that year. The reason we we didn't win was because, and by our standards back then, it was an average Florida defense. And the, uh, today's standards, that would have been a great Florida defense. But I, I think what happened there was a case of like I think there was a three-way tie situation or a two-way tie and, and Tennessee had it over Georgia because they beat Georgia, but we lost to Georgia. Um, and we also got upset at home by Auburn. So I, I think if those, if, if you at least take away the upset to Auburn, you're in a three-way tie situation there. And I, I Florida might've actually won the tiebreaker because then it would have gone to rankings, BCS rankings at that point. So I don't know about that, but yeah, we're we're getting off the we're getting a yeah. little bit off the thing. Well, I, I will say Tennessee beat that Georgia team. They were six and two in the East. We were five and three. I'm saying the course of the season played out. They had the better record. They yeah, were better. They than did. Us. And then we can we can look. You know, more recently, 2013, we were horrendous. They were bad, but they were not as bad as us. But we beat them. 2017, kind of a wash. But then last year, 2021, they were clearly the better team, just not on that night. Hennon Hooker played. I mean, that, that was his first start. They didn't play very well. Florida made the play they had to make, and they won by 24 points. So it was it was about time 
that Tennessee had the better team than Florida and got the result on the field head to head that validated that. So that's, I mean, that's, that's the point here. It was bound to happen eventually 2015, probably Tennessee. I think if, if they play again, they, they probably beat us in a rematch. So that that's the point we've gotten away with beating a lot of Tennessee teams that either the record, the rest of the tape of that year or whatever data says we should not have beaten. So, okay, Tennessee, you know, you got us still one in five in the last six, two in 16 in the last 18 and you're eight and 29 since the end of the Vietnam war. So as Chris said, enjoy, congratulations. You beat us fair and square. The officiating was terrible, but that's, you know, the norm. So I'm, I'm not going to complain about that. You beat us. Congrats. Enjoy. We'll see you next year in the swamp where you have not won since 2003. Now, final word, not going to be pretty, uh, especially in some areas. Some areas will get nice grades, but uh, start with the play of the game. Chris, I've got, I'm down to three. What, do, what have you got? So for me, play the game. I'll go that first touchdown pass. You know, it felt so good to get that first touchdown pass of the season to Keon Zipper. Keon Zipper is a guy we've been hoping to see a little bit more out of. Great run by him to finish it, you know, and get in the end zone. So it was just a big moment in the game. And, and, and I think it gave the team some energy and to show that, you know what, yes, we can move the ball in this team. We can throw touchdown passes. Uh, I think moving forward throughout the season, I, I look for that play to kind of set us up more in the passing game to the tight ends. We can utilize the tight ends more. So I, I think the play of the game for me was that first touchdown pass from Anthony Richardson. So it seems like we have very different criteria for deciding our play of the game. I'm, I'm going with the, I typically go with the plays that have the biggest impact on the game that, that, I mean, the play you mentioned certainly is a feel good moment. It's something to build off of for the rest of the season. It could be a launch pad, but in terms of the biggest impact play on this game, I'm going to go with Trey Dean just staring into a black hole and letting Brew McCoy get free for a 70-yard gain. You, you can't do that, man. You got – and, then, you know, we, we've beaten that horse. Not going to go into it in great depth again. But if that play doesn't happen, if Dean does his job and stays with him, let's say he stays with him and the pass is caught for a 12-yard gain in the first down. You don't know what happens next. They, I mean, they, they could snap the ball over Hendon Hooker's head. They could, you know, he could throw a pick. He could get sacked. They could have a holding penalty. You don't know. So because he just gives up 70 free yards, which you said, you know, on, on the pre-pod can't happen. Make them go the hard way down the field. He just gives them an easy one. They score the, the chain of events that's set into motion by that. The dominoes that start falling are completely different. If that doesn't happen, you, cause you don't know what happens next. And I think that, I mean, that was a catalyst for them going up by double digits, which had not been the case up until that point. It was always a one score game back and forth. Then, as you said, Florida started playing catch up an unfamiliar and really unfavorable position, given where this defense is right now. That's my play of the game because that just can't happen. And that set into motion, the chain of events that put Florida in a position from which it could not recover. So player of the game, who have you got? And real quick, too, I uh, I guess I did pick a feel-good moment. I, I'd say the play that changed it for me was that, and I mentioned earlier, was the drive where they went 99 yards after halftime, before halftime, scored. So that third down that they converted, 
And then they obviously then later scored down that drive and then scored out of halftime. So that third down conversion uh, right before halftime could, could, I think, fall in that criteria as you're kind of grading it. The third player, and 10? The third and 10, yeah. Yeah. But player of the game, Anthony Richardson. You know, he's had a tough two weeks here as the Gator quarterback. It, it's the toughest position to play. Maybe the toughest job to have at all at the University of Florida, if we're being honest, right? Even being the president of the university is a tough job or the athletic director. But the toughest job at the University of Florida might honestly be to play quarterback there. Uh, so Anthony Richardson's had some tough weeks here, but he balled out yesterday. Balled out. That is the Anthony Richardson that we expected to see this year. That's the Anthony Richardson that if he continues to do that, will get drafted in the first round of the NFL draft. I, I, I really hope that we continue to see this guy because if we do see that guy for the rest of the season, I do think Florida can win eight games, right? I do think they can get to that eight game win total, maybe that nine game win total with the bowl game. He's the kind that's the kind of quarterback that is going to keep us in games, potentially win us games like the LSU game at home coming up or maybe the Texas A&M game on the road. You spring an upset there or something like that. Or when we go to Tallahassee at the end of the year. So those are the I think for me, he's got to be obviously the player of the game. He had the most second most total yards since Tim Tebow in that game. So big day for him. He gave us a chance to win the game. And uh, he's my player of the game. Yeah, I mean, at this point in the year, to your point there, uh, the season as it stands for all of our all of the goals that the University of Florida strives for in a, in a typical season are gone. You know, Natty gone, SEC East gone. Florida's already zero and two in the league. Don't for all intents and purposes, that's all gone. So at this point, it's about individual games being used as their own well mini seasons, so to speak. Anthony Richardson can absolutely deliver positive results in that sense. Like he can't lead us to a championship now, but he can lead us to games that we'll never forget. He can quarterback us to a win over Georgia and ruin their season, which by the way, Florida has a history of doing with teams that are seven and five, eight and four. So you don't know that. So let's keep seeing building blocks being stacked in front of each other. Uh, so, you know, in that sense, I, I agree, you know, AR definitely could build off of that. Definitely like what I saw from him. I'm kind of tempted to say Trey Dean as the player of the game, not for a good reason, but because he was the player that most drastically decided the game. But I'll I'll end this on a positive note. We've kind of beaten that horse to death. So just to keep something, you know, sunshine and rainbowsy out there, I'll say Richardson because that is the kind of performance that if he continues to deliver consistently, Florida can reach that that lowered goal of New Year's six double digit wins finishing in the top 10. So I'm, I'm very happy to see that after the way he played the last couple of games. And he, you know, again, like you said, best performance since Tebow. So definitely good to see that. And, and hopefully he can build off that moving forward. The other thing too, I want to give some shout outs to guys like Ricky Pearsall, who stepped up in a big way. He played like the transfer that we hoped he would be Justin shorter, who has not been as consistent in his career, played very well yesterday. Ventrell Miller, you know, guys flying around the ball, made some massive hits on the quarterback. They got that strip to start the game off. So, I mean, there's some great players on this team. We just don't have enough yet in the depth. So, and we'll get there. But wanted to, I wanted to, I would be remiss if I didn't give shout outs to some of those guys who who played well. And also, you know what, Rashad Torrance, 
hustled his butt off down the sideline multiple times. You know, could have easily just mailed it in, gave up on the play. That was especially that one to Brew McCoy down the sideline. That went for 70 yards. Could have given up, but you know what? He chased him down and got him out of bounds and, and still made Tennessee fight for that touchdown. So, you know, Rashad Torrance, you know, he's definitely had some moments where he plays like an all-conference safety. And, I, and I'm, I'm really – hopefully we'll continue to see him grow into that position and, and to play well. So he did play fairly well, and he does play his assignment um, more often than not correctly. So he's, he's in the thankless position of, of cleaning up the mess that Trey Dean started. Pretty much. It, it's, it's not a great job to have. And it's unfortunate for him because I think if he had a good um, counterpart playing the free safety uh, – the strong safety position – then he would be in such a, a better – we would actually get to see his strengths because um, he has flashed at times. Uh, you go back to that Georgia game last year, he had like two interceptions, I think, in that game. Uh, you know, he, he has shown some moments in early on in his career that he can be a great safety, but unfortunately, he kind of has to, like you said, play Mr. Clean back there. And also, Jason Marshall got burned on one bomb. Not, you know, not good. It happens. Other than that, he played pretty well. He did. The one the one play was bad and it, and it was a killer because it happened at a bad time, but the sum of his game tape was a positive. So, right. you know, while well, we're giving shout-outs, got to give one to him too. Now now the fun part. Uh the Grace. Grace. <laughs> I think they're going to vary quite different or quite drastically, but Chris, what have you got? Offense, I'd give B+. I think that they play and honestly the only reason I'm holding back on the A is because they had a critical turnover uh the Anthony Richardson fumble in the red zone. So let's say we score there. Yeah, that's a 14-point swing because Tennessee ended up scoring on that drive where they got the ball back. So that's like my negative, right? Or, you know, and then that fourth down that they didn't get also where they didn't score. But, I mean, they played – this was their best offensive performance. They almost had 600 yards of total offense. This is something we can build on. So, you know, moving forward, we've talked about this. Can we improve? Can we show improvement throughout the season? It hasn't been consistent. Like, it seems like when one group rises, the other group falls. And this game is another example of that. But I want to see if this offense can continue to be consistent, continue to show what they did on tape against Tennessee, against some opponents coming up where I think they'll have an opportunity to do it. There is a path to going into the bye week, going into that Georgia game, five and two. It's a, it's a realistic path. We should, we will beat Eastern Washington this weekend. We should beat Missouri. Missouri is not a good football team. We should beat Missouri for homecoming. Then we go into the big game against LSU, where I see that as a 50-50 toss-up game. Uh, LSU's looked good the last couple of weeks, but they ha- I don't think they've really played. Outside of Mississippi State, haven't played anybody good. Um, so I expect us, hopefully, to be 5-2 and two going into that Georgia game. So can the offense get us there? And the offense will be the reason we get there if they stay consistent like they showed against Tennessee. So for me, B-plus for this game. Yeah, I I'm gonna give the offense a B, and the, the fumble was bad, but the running game wasn't there. That's, that's not true. good. Yeah. You got to be able to run the ball between the tackles against the defense. That's okay, but not great because there are better defenses lurking later on in the schedule. So, I mean, the, the, if you're gonna break them up into passing offense versus rushing offense, the passing game gets an A plus because Richardson was the best passing quarterback that we've had. Aside from Kyle Trask, probably since Tebow, maybe you can say Will Greer, the one game against Mississippi, but that that was as good of a passing performance aside from Trask as we've seen 
in at least seven years, possibly 12. So he gets an A plus and the receivers stepped up, as you mentioned earlier in the pod, Ricky Pearsall, Justin Shorter, Xavier Henderson is not going to get a lot of love from the fan base, but he's, you know, he, he makes, he makes guys miss in the open field. I don't even love those play calls, but if he's going to make guys miss and gain extra yards after the catch, he gets bonus points for that. So passing game is an A plus rushing game is probably a, a C minus or a D plus they, they had a couple of nice runs. ETN broke a couple for 10 plus. I think Naquan had one for nine or 10, but they could not run the ball consistently and that's not good. So overall I'll say B as the, as the neutral grade that sort of averages those two out defense. What have you got? I got to go F this is a fail. This is a straight up fail. I mean, they, they were the reason we lost the game. Uh, gave up too many big plays at some really poor times. They didn't make they didn't make the big play. They, they made a, they made the one big play at the beginning of the game. They got the fumble when they were about to score a touchdown, and they got the strip sack uh, fourth down stop. But other than that, there was just not a lot of bright spots for this defense. There are players on this defense, like we've mentioned, that have talent that are going to be great contributors to hopefully a good defense down the road. But there's still just too many. Uh, you know, we just don't have the right personnel yet to be a really good Florida defense that we need. So this was a fail for me. You can't give up almost 600 yards of offense, 38 points. Uh, the reason we lost the game. So, yeah, 576 yards to be exact. That's awful. That's an F. Ventral Miller earns this defense. You know, 20 points if we're talking about zero to 100. So it's not going to be like a, a four or a seven out of 100 type of F grade. The kind where dusted goes, you got to drop the class, change your major, drop out of college. It's not it's not that, but it's a, a 30, 35. Miller, Miller's worth, you know, 10, 15 points or so. There were some nice plays by Amari Bernie here and there, but then Bernie looked lost on other plays. Of course, Trey Dean, we've, we've beaten that horse to death. Jason Marshall getting beaten. You know, he's a great corner. He did have a great game aside from that, but that one play was damaging and it did happen. So yeah, F failure because you can't, you can't win games giving up 550 plus yards and they gave up 576. I mean, you can't, we can't win games giving up 500 period. And they gave up a good number more than that. Yeah. It's a failure of a performance for sure. Special teams. What have you got? I'm going to go F2. You know, this, like I mentioned, uh, this this is a unit that cost us some points in this game, both missed field goal, but also the kick return and setting us up for long fields. Field position's killing us in this offense right now. We have not, I would love to, I'd have to do a, a dive in the statistics, but our, our average uh, starting position on the field cannot be very good. So I would say that that is, is just a unit right now The we talked about it with Caleb and Caleb mentioned how he wanted to see a dynamic returner, dynamic punt returner back there, like a Kadarius Tony, like a Percy Harvin. We don't have that guy right now on this team. We might be getting him in a guy like Eugene Wilson next year, but we don't have him right now. And we, I, until then, I think we need to play a little more conservatively on the kick return game and just call us, even if we are receiving the ball out of the end zone by rule, you could still fair catch it and get the 25 yard line. I honestly think we should just do that the rest of the season. I just don't think 
the expected return. There's no respected return of value to, to return kicks anymore. We've been, we've had a lot of holding penalties too on these returns that set us up even farther back than where we're getting tackled on the field. So I'm done with it. I'm done with the return game. I want to see fair catches and give us 25. We can go 75 yards and score. You know, I'm done. I just am. And I just think right now it was the, probably the worst special teams game we played all season. And honestly, might have cost us the game too. I mean, you, I know the defense was, we've, we've maligned them and they're the low hanging fruit. But if you limit, if you limit your margin for error in other areas, it can, oh, it can overcome some other deficiencies that you have on the team. Special teams is an area where I think we can, if we just play a little more conservatively, we improve the team. Because of the, where we would start, the, where the ball would be placed on the field. Uh, so I, I just think that that's a unit right now that I just have not seen the improvement yet. So another F for me on that one. Before I give my grade, I forgot to give this shout out while we were doing player shout outs. Jeremy Crawshaw, 49-yard punt, pinning Tennessee down at the one. The defense subsequently shattered and gave up a 99-yard touchdown drive. But Jeremy Crawshaw with the airdrop down to the one-yard line. The, the the punt cover team was down there. there. There were two different guys that could have downed it at the one-yard line. Great job by the special teams on that. Also, shout-out to Mr. Duwan Black, a guy who has traveled a very, very arduous journey to get to the place where he's at now. At no point did his love for the Florida Gators waver. He stuck with his commitment one reroute to Juco later, and two years later, he finally got to live his dream of playing for the Gators. It's been hard for him to get on the field, but when he has been on the field, he has made plays, most notably with that ridiculously athletic one-handed snag of the onside kick against Tennessee late in the game. Shout out, Mr. Black, for that. That said, it's an F, because there was absolutely nothing at all else that went right for Florida in the return game. First, Tennessee, in their kick return game, they returned it past the 30 multiple times. We never returned one past our own 23. We missed a field goal. And, I mean, you can't, like Chris just went into, you can't keep putting yourself behind the eight ball on special teams. You can't, if you're going to return the kick, you have to, A, get it past the 25 or at least fairly close to it you get to the 24 or 23 i'll just roll my eyes and say okay fine you have to at least get it to the 20 you can't get called for a holding penalty you can't fumble the kickoff we've seen that happen this year you can't do that and so one of those things almost always happens when we return a kick because we don't have a brandon james a Kadarius tony a percy harvin Oh, I don't think he would ever return kicks to Florida, but you know, we don't have a Brandon James. We don't have an Andre DeBose who that was the one thing he really did do well consistently for us. We don't have that now. So I don't understand as Chris said, why we continue to insist on returning kicks from inside our own end zone or at the one or two yard line when we don't have a guy that is capable of breaking that. So that's, that's an F and you know, the missed field goal, it's a hard field goal from 50 yards, but We've seen him hit farther in the spring game. He hit one from 54. So you you can expect him to sometimes hit that. And he didn't do it. So that hurts probably about a 50 out of a hundred. Cause it's not like they fumbled a kickoff. It's not like, you know, they snapped the ball over the punter's head. They didn't kick off out of bounds. They didn't, they didn't get a kick or a punt block. They didn't do anything you know, horrible like that, but 
They just didn't do anything right either, aside from that one punt. So F for me. And now we get to the one that I think most fans are debating, coaching. What have you got? I, I don't think it's as low as people think it is. I'll go B minus. And here's my logic. If we didn't go for it on those fourth downs and hit them the way we did, we wouldn't have even had a chance to win this game. It would have been a blowout. It would have been a multiple two, three score game like he was playing out in the fourth quarter. So I would say Billy Napier's ability to go for it and hit those plays kept us in the game. Where I mentioned that I fault them, I don't fault them for the two points and I don't fault them for the fourth down conversions. I fault them for playing Trey Dean and I fault them for the special teams games where it set us back in field position continuously throughout the game. So for me, I, I honestly think that the coaching staff too, give them credit, drew up a great game plan for Anthony Richardson to get going. I think Billy Napier called a great game for him in calling plays and allowed him to just deliver um, and also got him more comfortable in the pocket. Like you notice how many times yesterday, Anthony Richardson stepped up in the pocket and delivered throws. I think both of his touchdown passes, that was the case. So he, I mean, it was a really a nine day performance. Like if we had gotten that Anthony Richardson two weeks earlier, we would be Kentucky. So I, I think that the coaching staff deserves a ton of credit for giving him a game plan to get him going, hopefully for the rest of the season. And also, you know what? You can't fault him for – he went five for six on fourth down. And he and he set us up, and like I mentioned earlier, to give us manageable fourth down conversions, which is why the hit rate was higher. So I'm going to give I'm gonna give the staff a B-. minus. They lost the game. Uh, they – like I said, they're not playing the right personnel. And the special teams, you know, leaves a lot to be desired. So I think the staff is good. Uh and I and I just I'm going to give Patrick Tony a pass on the defense right now because I just don't think we have the personnel yet to to compete. Well, the thing I really fault the coaching staff for is not it's putting it's putting Trey Dean back in the game after he does miss an assignment. You put Kamari Wilson in, you get the stop, then you put him back. He blows more assignments, and then you leave him in the rest of the game. That's the part that I I can't I can't wrap my head around here because when you had the right personnel in the defense was doing its job. There was a play I think with with six minutes left in the second quarter or so where it's a second down and about six. Tennessee's on their own twenty nine ish or so. There's a running play and you see four or five different Florida players all do their assignments. They string the ball out. They string the running play out. Brenton Cox is in on it. Rashad Torrance is in on it. I think Bernie was in on it. They all do their job. They string it out. That's an example of an entire defense all doing their assignments and getting the result that reflects that. So I can see the gears turning with Patrick Tony. I can see what he's trying to do, and I can see it working when his players execute it. The problem, of course, is that when one does not, it forces somebody else to try to do two assignments at one time. That never works out well, and it's a big play for the other team. So I can't fault the coaching staff um, for the fact that someone's trying to do two assignments at once. I fault them for the fact that the same guy is, is forcing other teammates of his to do two assignments at once, thus resulting in big plays. So coaching for me is going to get a B- minus. For a slightly different reason, I, you gave a B minus too, right? Yeah. So a slightly different reason. Um, I, I do ding 
them for putting Dean back in there. I also kind of ding them for the first fourth down conversion play call. I don't fault them for going for it. Like I said, we talked about this earlier too, but I just don't know that that's a high percentage play. And yes, it was there. If Richardson bounced it outside, then it's there. And if the idea was for Richardson to bounce it outside, if that was the call and Richardson just didn't do it because he thought he saw something up the middle or he didn't understand the assignment or whatever, if Richardson if the play was designed for him to bounce it outside and he failed to do it, then obviously I retract that, but I can't know that. And that doesn't seem like the most likely scenario there. So I, I give him credit for going forward on fourth down when he did, as Chris mentioned, I, I'm going to agree with all his points. there. going for certain calls on third down and longs to set up fourth and manageable. So you can have that higher hit rate on fourth down. I'm, I'm all in favor of that. I agree with that. I didn't like that, that play call on fourth down and I mean, at this point, trading has just become such such a weak link in the secondary and on this defense that it's it's beyond justification to keep putting them out there. So, you know, maybe you give him one more shot against Eastern Washington to fix it. You know, see if he can string that into something against Missouri. Maybe he'll play well there. But I mean, th- th- this is at a point where the next time he busts an assignment has to be the last. You cannot rationally justify putting him out there anymore. It's getting to the point of, of Grantham-esque stubbornness where you keep trying to ram the same square peg into the same round hole and it keeps not working for obvious reasons. So I'll give him, you know, I'll give the coaching staff another game or so before I really harangue them for it. But this is this is at the point now where any further mistakes that Dean makes as you said earlier, with the example of Werfel and Spurrier, is on the coaches, not on Dean. So B minus there. Last part of the pod, overall graded from zero to 100. That's tough. I think that obviously the Fs are going to weigh this down. So you don't have to weigh them all equally. That's that's this, yeah. that's a scenario that I, that's a formula that I use. But go, what have you got? I would say like 61%. Maybe, you know, I mean, it's, it's barely above a, a failing grade, but it's, it's a poor performance because it really was just that bad of a performance by the defense and special teams. You know, I think coaching gave us a chance to win the game. Offense gave us a chance to win the game, but it's just, it, until we start to see better performances from the defense consistently, then we're not gonna we're not gonna get to where we need to be. So I would say like sixty one percent. This is the lowest grade I've given all season. Um, I think in the Kentucky game, I, I'm pretty sure I gave like something in the sixties as well. So it, it's it's uh this is a low grade. This is my lowest grade. I'm going to give it two points less than you, and I'm going to say it is it is close to a passing grade, but it is just barely over the failure threshold. In part because we lost. Because, you know, the result has a lot to do with that. Also, in part, because the same mistakes were made multiple times, leading to a loss. If Trey Dean busts one play, Kamari Wilson comes in and he busts another play. Richardson plays great for three quarters, but then he throws back-to-back pick sixes. If it's so many different things contributing to a loss, I can say, okay, you know, the, the team didn't play well. It's It's a bad performance. But it was... It was ultimately just not our day, but we did a lot of other things that I liked. A lot of other guys did the right things for most of the game. 
And I guess you can make an argument for that actually being more apt to get a failing grade, but at least then I can say more guys did their jobs for more of the game. And I would use that just personal preference. I would use that as more of a positive and push them and bump them just over that pass fail threshold and give them probably a 60 or 61 like you, but because it was the same mistakes being made over and over and over again and personal preference here, I have a very low tolerance for not learning from mistakes. Making the same mistakes multiple times is what really gets me irritated. So for that reason, I will say it's a failure and a 59. There were positives for sure. AR played great. His receivers did great. Pearsall, Shorter, Baby Hendo, Keon Zipperer all did well. ETN did well. He had a couple of nice runs and he, and he kept those legs turning. He kept fighting for every inch that he could. Amari Birdie made a couple plays. He made some not good plays, but he made some positive plays. He had a strip sack in there. Bentrell Miller had a great game. He was probably 40% healthy. He played a hell of a game. Jason Marshall, aside from the one bomb he gave up, which was killer, but he played an overall great game. So positives for sure, but a loss, a bad loss, a loss that that kills us for the national championship in the SEC East, which are the goals we set out to achieve every year, drops this down to a 59 and a failing grade. So with that said, um, and Chris, any, any final quick thoughts? You know, I'm just going to reiterate what I said. What I said earlier this week in the, in the article is that trust the journey. This is, we're going to have some down points in the journey. We're there right now. It's going to get better. Uh, I think that this team hopefully can ring off three straight wins. Like I mentioned here, it's very doable just looking at the schedule, but just let's stick with Billy. Let's try to, I know it's easy to get negative on the coaching staff and negative on Billy, but don't get caught up in the moment and let's look big picture. Let's look big picture. Let's talk in December when we know what our record was, when we know how the bowl performance was, where we know where we ended up on early signing day and ultimately national signing day in February. So until then, I'm not going to cast too much more judgment because I just want to see this all play out. I just want to see if mistakes are going to be made, let them be made by different people once. That's all I ask the rest of the season. People are going to make mistakes. Richardson will make bad decisions. Defensive players will miss tackles. They will bust, whatever. Let's just not see the same mistakes be made repeatedly. That's all I want. With that, thank you all for listening. Of course, as always, if you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and a nice review on iTunes. Guys, we're building. We're building. We're just, as Chris said, trust the journey. We're getting there. We saw signs of progress against Tennessee. We also saw signs that this program is not where it's expected to be in an average year, but this is not an average year because Napier took over a very bad situation, but we saw signs that we're, we're on our way there. So trust the journey, trust the process. Until next time, y'all stay safe, stay healthy in all kinds of weather. We will all stick together for F-L-O-R-I-D-A. Go Gators. Go Gators.